Welcome to Process to Profitability, a podcast all about the tools and strategies you need to serve your clients and grow your small business, hosted by me, Samantha Mabe of Lemon in the Sea. Join me as I chat with creative entrepreneurs and small business owners about how they built and grew their businesses and how you can do the same in a way that fits you. Let's get started. You're listening to episode 112 of Process to Profitability. Today, I'm talking about pitching your products to retailers with Kathy Cruz. Kathy shares a ton of great information as a retailer herself and a maker who has gotten into other retail stores. We talk about selling outside of your business and when you're ready. We also talk about the technical pieces you need in order to work with retailers and how your website can help you do that. We discuss finding the right stores to get into and the research you should do before reaching out, as well as ways you can add additional value to the people you are building relationships with. Since founding the Salvage Boutique with her sister in 2013, Kathy watched her passions grow from a fun blog and hobby with her sister on the side of her full-time job to a thriving brick-and-mortar home decor store. After running the store for years, she saw the need for an online community where small business owners could find resources. So she took it upon herself to create Savvy Shopkeeper, a blog and online business dedicated to educating, motivating, and building a community of shop owners. From a full-time job to full-time entrepreneur, Kathy helps hundreds of store owners and makers navigate store ownership while running a store herself. If you like this episode, I would love it if you would leave us a rating and maybe a review on iTunes. It helps other people to find the show and helps us to bring on more guests like Kathy to cover topics that are important to you. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for joining me. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I read your bio at the top of the show, but I'd love it if you could give us a little bit more detail about who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you do. Okay, I will try to make this as simple as possible. (laughs) Um, My journey started, I guess, around six years ago when my sister and I started a DIY blog. We were just taking old things and making them new again, and I was blogging about them, and we were photographing them, and then we started styling them. And that turned into selling online through our social media accounts, and then we opened an Etsy shop. Then we started participating in markets. And then two years after that, we opened our brick and mortar store. So that's my brick and mortar store journey. But three years into that, I was looking for a place that I could learn about running a retail business because I had no prior retail experience and neither did my sister. And I just couldn't find anywhere that I can learn about running a retail business. There are a ton of resources for running online service-based businesses um, and other resources, but I couldn't find like a blogger that I could follow or a YouTube channel or a podcast at the time. So I would listen to other things, but I really wanted to connect with a retailer. So I decided to do it myself and I launched Savvy Shopkeeper. It was my second blog at the time. And much like the store, it started as a blog and turned into much more. And now I have a Facebook community, a membership group, an online academy, and then I'm launching a podcast in September, which I'm excited about. Awesome. I love podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Ditto. So do you still have your retail location then? Yeah, we're in uh, Northeast Ohio and it's a home decor boutique with a creative studio. Awesome. So you're kind of doing both of those things then. 
Yes. Yeah. I'm running a, a retail store with my sister and running an online service-based business. I'm doing them both. They're both part-time. Okay. So I would love to know kind of who it is that you help. Are they people who are just getting started in retail? Are they people who have been doing it for a while and just want to take it to the next level? How does that work? So in the free Facebook group, um, there are, I think, now close to 1,100 women. Um, it is all women. They're worldwide. The majority of them are in the United States, but they're everywhere. And it could be anywhere from a maker with an online shop, you know, selling on Etsy, to a brick and mortar store owner with two locations. There might be other women in the group with more than two locations, but I think that's like pretty much the range. And then everything in between, a fashion boutique, um, owner that sells through e-commerce, like on Shopify. It's a wide range. And I think I speak to all of them because that's the journey I took. So it's easy for me to speak to that range of women. Awesome. So today we are going to be talking about pitching your product to retailers, which is something I know nothing about and have no experience in. <laughs> um, but I really wanted to be able to help those people out there who are makers and are product-based businesses that don't have as much content because it seems like a lot of people are service-based and they make things for other service-based entrepreneurs. Right. So when a maker wants to sell outside of their business, what are their options? Let's start at the, like the beginning. You know, they make something, they might sell it, but they want to do something more. Okay. Usually the two options when you're selling to a retailer is to sell wholesale and that's when you're selling directly to the store. And normally, of course, yeah, I'm going to throw out numbers, but it can vary and it depends on the retail store owner and, and the maker, but um, normally that's a 50-50 split. But the nice thing about selling wholesale is you're guaranteed, so let's say you have a minimum order quantity of 10, you are guaranteed that that retailer is buying 10 of your products at a set price. Um, but you're getting 50% of that retail price. And if you're selling consignment, you're essentially loaning your items to the store. You do generally make a little bit more, 60 to 75%, but you're not guaranteed those sales. So even though you might be loaning the store 20 of your products, you're, there's no guarantee that all 20 of, the, of those will sell. There's actually no guarantee that even five of those will sell. Um, so that's what makes consignment just a little bit more challenging except it is a little more profitable if you go with consignment. Okay. So if somebody is kind of thinking about doing this and working with a retailer, how do they know when they're ready to do that? And are there people who shouldn't do this as part of their business model? Yes, for sure there are. I'll cover those in the second half of this. But I'll say um, usually the person that's ready to wholesale is the person that's buying all of their materials in order to make their products, they're buying those materials at a discounted or wholesale price. And the reason for that is you want to get the most profit out of your product. So you're buying all of your materials at really affordable prices, at the cheapest possible prices you can get. Um, and aside from like time and space, like do you have enough time to create batches of products and do you have the space to do it? It's really like, do you have the systems and processes in place so that you can 
efficiently create large batches of products with ease really is the ultimate goal um, because it's easy to make one or two for your Etsy shop, maybe 10 for your Etsy shop. But if you're selling wholesale and you are making hundreds of candles at one time, can you do that efficiently? Okay. And I guess we skipped over this, but if somebody's thinking about retail, kind of what are the benefits of doing that for a business? Um, that you can sell more quantities, um, especially if, you're, if your systems are set up that you can create more at a cheaper price. You can sell more instead of selling one or two products at a time online. And I forgot to answer the question about those who, should, who shouldn't. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much two people. If you're a marketing genius and you're killing it online in your Etsy shop or even on your own website, and you don't need to sell wholesale. If you're doing that well, uh, you don't have to sell wholesale. It's just not necessary. And then the other one is when it's cost prohibitive, there are just some items. One thing I can think of in particular in our store that we have are a couple of handmade quilts. They are beautiful. They're well-made. A friend of ours made them. But it would be really hard for someone like her with her skill set and the cost of the materials for her to make those beautiful baby quilts to sell them um, at, you know, true wholesale prices. Right. That makes sense because that's a lot of time. It's a lot of materials. And so it's not a product you can kind of easily make multiples of. Correct. Okay. So you mentioned that people who are marketing geniuses should not do wholesale necessarily because they're already doing this through their own business. So is part of the benefit of kind of working with the retailers that they do the marketing for you and bring people in to see your product? It should be a team effort. Uh, putting your products in stores, you're, now you're opening yourself up to different markets, different people, different areas, especially if you can ship. If you can ship nationwide or worldwide, you're really exposing yourself to people that you may not reach if you're on social media or maybe your skill set with social media isn't so great. It's putting you out in front of other people for sure. And yeah, it should be a team effort between you and the retailer, definitely. Okay. So what are the technical pieces somebody needs when they're getting started with this? Now, a lot of these terms I'm probably not going to know, but if you could like kind of explain what you need to have together so that you can present something to someone and do it professionally? There are probably more things that I'll mention now. There are, I shouldn't say probably, there are. I actually, in my online academy, I teach a whole course on this topic. But some of the most popular questions I get will cover those. So for instance, minimum order quantities, you, know, you should have that set on your line sheet, which we'll talk about next. You should have a lot of your terms set in place so that there isn't any confusion or you're not, I mean, I guess negotiation is a possibility when you're dealing with a retailer, but I like when someone comes to me and they're really firm, um, this is the, the minimum I expect you to order, this is the price. So that goes with terms, the pricing, how you collect your payment, do you offer credit terms? Um, those are things that should be set in place. And I usually recommend setting credit terms with a retailer that you have a longstanding relationship, not initially. 
when you're first starting to sell to retailers, I always recommend collecting payment in full and upfront just to guarantee that you, you know, you've been um, paid for your products. But if you have a longstanding relationship with a retailer and it's a great relationship and they constantly reorder from you in a year into the relationship, you want to offer them terms like 30 days. So you would deliver the product and then the retailer has 30 days to pay you or 60 days to pay you. That is an option. You could do that from the beginning. I just don't always recommend it from the start. Um, some other things um, are like zip code protection, where retailers uh, sometimes like to have their own little territory and know that no one within a certain you know, mile radius or within their zip code is selling the same product. Mm. Um, they like to have like a unique product line in their store. So offering them something like that, you should ha have that established for sure, offer that to them at the beginning. You should know what your shipping and delivery policies are. Um, a couple of the, like, the technical pieces that you need would be your line sheet. And the line sheet, for some reason, really scares people. And it's really a simple concept. Um, I do offer a free template on this. But the line sheet is all it is. It's a simple paper catalog. So if you were to get a catalog in the mail, it has a picture of the product might have a short description, a really short description, or at least measurements, and then a price. Well, on a line sheet, it would just have the wholesale price for the retailer and the picture of it. Um, that's all it is. Usually with makers, they might have one to four sheets of products to list, so it's pretty simple. But I, wouldn't, I usually tell people don't overcomplicate the line sheet. It's really just like a simple place for a retailer to look and know exactly what you offer and what prices and how many they would need to order. And then the other piece would be like, a, it's like a media kit. Uh, I call it an information sheet more so than a media kit. But if anyone's familiar with the term media kit, it's a single page introduction to who you are, what you make, um, and where people can find you. And some, sometimes you can include statistics about your social media following because that can be important to a retailer too. Okay. So it sounds like you're just putting together almost like a resume for somebody to take to the store and say, this is who I am. This is what I make. Maybe this is what I can bring to your business as far as, you know, social media engagement. And then kind of, if you want to work with me, this is, you know, the terms that I've laid out. Yes. And it should be very, very simple. Um, the best example I give when I teach the class is a candle maker in our area who reached out to us and she sent her information sheet, a line sheet, and I think her email was two to three sentences. It was really brief and simple. And it, once I opened up the PDF files, it was really clear to understand her brand really easy to see her pricing was in line with our pricing um, and that overall the aesthetic, all of it would probably work in our store. Uh, again, I always just say try to keep it simple. 
When was the last time you checked to make sure your website was healthy? The only way to know if your website is serving your business and working correctly is to make maintenance a regular part of your to-do list. I've created a maintenance guide at lemonandthesea.com maintenance that will help you get a picture of how your website is performing, what's working and what isn't, and the things you can work on improving so that you can continue to show off your expertise and bring in more dream clients. Inside, you'll learn why website maintenance isn't something to put off until next week, 15 tasks you should be doing on a regular basis to maintain your website, and the tasks you need to do weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly. Get the guide at lemonandthesea.com slash maintenance. So we've got all of this stuff. It sounds like a lot of times you're emailing this to somebody you want to work with, but how can our website help us with these pieces and what do we need to include on the site to do that? I always preface my website conversation by saying, don't, don't feel pressure to have a website immediately. You can definitely grow your business and sell to retailers without a website. But once you're ready to make that investment, again, it, it conveys exactly what this other woman sent in her email, but one place, you know, I'll know what your pricing is. I know what your product looks like. And now I have a description of your product. I can learn about you, which is also important to me and my sister. You know, when we bring in products into our store, we want to know about the maker. We want to know their story. So it's just kind of an all in one snapshot of who you are and what your business is. Okay. If somebody already has a website for their product, maybe they're selling it there or they're selling on Etsy. Is this different from the site that a visitor who's interested in buying your product goes to? Ideally, it would be nice if you could have your website set up for both the consumer who's going to buy directly from you. And then you can have another tab that says wholesale or wholesale inquiries where a retailer knows now immediately if I visit a website, if I see a wholesale tab or even in the footer menu where it says wholesale inquiry, if I click on that, I know right away you sell wholesale. And that's usually my first question when I visit a website. If I'm visiting your website as a retailer, it's usually because I'm interested in your product. So it's nice to see immediately if you offer that. Um, So I would recommend having some type of tab in one of your menus. And then if you can, Again, depending on the platform you're on, I feel like Shopify probably does this the easiest. Um, I think they offer a plugin so that you can have a separate login area so that your retailers can log in and buy from you at wholesale prices. And that way too, your wholesale prices aren't shown to the retailer or the consumer that's going to your website to buy. So if you can do that, if not, your wholesale page could just really be a couple of instructions, like fill out this form and we'll contact you or send you a line sheet kind of thing. It doesn't always have to be completely professional, but the easier you make it for the retailer, for sure, the better. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like, you know, that you pointed out that if this is something you offer, it should be really easy to find for people. So in your main menu or at least in the footer so they can figure out whether or not you offer wholesale and then what it is that you sell and all of that information really simple in one place online. Yeah. And I think sometimes people with websites are reluctant to add a wholesale tab where they can't order. 
Um, but I always recommend at least putting some type of form or even instructions. It could be a sentence, a paragraph, just at least it conveys that you do offer wholesale at the minimum. If I can add one more thing about what a website can offer is uh, search engine optimization is really great too. And I know that term can sometimes feel a little intimidating and some people don't understand what it is. There are online classes that are for free that you can take that'll teach you the basics. But what that offers is the ability to be found online a little bit easier. So if someone Googles a particular product that they're looking for, whether it's in a certain area or just in general, it really helps you rank higher in Google if you implement some of those um, SEO strategies in your website. So it could be on your pages, on each individual product. And if what I'm saying is way above your head, I just recommend that you take a little bit of time to research it. Don't be intimidated by it and implement, even if it's the basics, as you move along in your business. Yes, SEO can do a lot and it really is a lot easier than I think a lot of people think. And we actually just had an episode come out about that a couple of weeks ago. So people can check that out. You know, we're talking about service-based businesses, but the practices apply to anybody. Yes, I agree. When we are looking at getting into a retail store, how do we find the right retailer to reach out to? And what should we know about them before we send that initial email? Yeah. Oh gosh. I could probably talk about this for hours. <laughs> uh, I mean, there are so many things. It depends on your business and how you run your business and your products, but it could be alignment first. If you have some values that are really important to you, like let's say for instance, you're a Christian based business and you sell Christian based products. Of course, then you need to find Christian based businesses where the, the customers at those stores would be in alignment with what you offer. It could be style and branding. Does the store have the same style as your brand? Because in the end, you want the customers going into that store to be your ideal customer. So does the style or vibe fit? Does it have, does the store have similar products? And a lot of times, I should add that you can do this research online, especially with social media these days. You can scroll through someone's feed, a store's feed, and know right away whether this business is a good fit for your product. Um, but when you're doing, when you're looking at other products in the store, don't feel that you, like let's say for instance, again, you're selling candles and they already sell a candle line in the store. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can't sell your candles there. Now, if they sell 10 other candle lines there, it may be challenging to sell your candles there. So do a little bit of research regarding that too. Or ask, and maybe, maybe they sell 10 lines of candles because that's what they mostly sell and the candles sell really well. So uh, not only doing your research online or in person and when you visit the store, but you can also ask the questions too once you establish the relationship with the retailer. It doesn't hurt to ask those questions to see if it's a good fit for you and, and, and for them. Right. Because they want to bring in people that are going to sell as well because that's how they make money is by selling these products. Right. And usually, do you recommend people start out by reaching out to like small local boutiques and that type of place to get started? I really think it depends on your comfort level. Um, so for instance, I have 
one woman who took my course who said she preferred to go into the stores because she connected really well with boutique owners, with the retailers. It was her comfort level. She was probably an extrovert. She probably really thrived off of the the one-on-one face-to-face conversations with the people. Um, And then there are some people who probably more like me, you know, prefer to maybe hide behind a laptop once in a while. (laughs) We'll reach out uh, via email or even um, direct message or PMs. So once we've kind of reached out, we've established a relationship, how do we bring additional value so that our product and our brand stands out above all of the other people who are doing the same thing? There are actually a few things that you can do. Uh, I'll name a few to start. Uh, Zip code protection, which I mentioned before. You can provide samples. The candle maker that reached out to us via email, she offered to send samples. And I was really grateful for that because even though the email communication was good and I prefer, as a retailer, I prefer email communication, just knowing that she would send those for free and I could really take a better look at what she was offering was nice. Offering gifts, which is not completely necessary. I'm not saying you need to bribe a retailer. Let's say, for instance, that you walk in and you want to take a cup of coffee or if, let's say you make chocolates and you want to give them um, a sample, not just for them to sample the product, but as a gift to them. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And it would definitely make an impression. And then you can um, offer marketing materials that they can share with their customers. So you can give them postcards, brochures. Not every retailer will take you up on that offer, but making it available is nice. And then the last thing I always recommend is high resolution photos. So retailers are extremely busy and they'll take any help they can get. So if I have a maker who says, hey, I just had a photo shoot and I have all of these images and you can use them on social media. If they offered them to me in a Google Drive, I would take them in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And for a lot of businesses, you're taking images of your products for yourself. So it makes sense to just share those as well for your retailers to make it easier. And it's not that many more steps for you. Right, right. I will say that, again, every retailer is different. Some will choose not to use your photos. And part of it is usually the common courtesy is to go ahead and tag you if they are your photos. And not all brick and mortar store owners uh, will tag who their products are from, or who makes them. And again, part of that is they're just protecting the product lines in their stores. It won't happen all the time, but I just mentioned that just in case you ever come across a situation where you offer to share your high resolution photos and you're excited to share them and you think it's such a great offer and then they decline, that might be why. Okay. But I'm sure it's always nice to offer it to them so that they know that you're really trying to make their job as easy as possible. Yeah. I mean, again, I can't stress enough. I just think it's so important that the relationship is a two-way road and that you both support and encourage each other. All right. So do you have some general do's and don'ts in this whole process, especially for people who are just getting started? I think this could be intimidating if you've never done this before and it's a new part of what you're trying to do in your business. Yes, for sure. It's extremely intimidating. So the first thing I usually talk about is communication. 
Um, I know I, I referred to this a little bit earlier, doing what's comfortable for you, but also respecting the store owner's time and their preferences as well. So I recommend starting off with email. An in-store visit is great. And if you do that, just be prepared be really prepared, have everything in hand to hand over, tell them that you understand and respect their time, that you know, you know you didn't make an appointment, you just wanted to hand off a sample and your line sheet and some information, and that if they're interested, whether it's the same day or the next day, to please reach out to you. Make it a really uh, brief and respectful visit. But do what's comfortable for you. I prefer email. The majority of the brick and mortar store owners in my group, when I polled them, they also preferred email. Um, but some said an in-store visit was nice. Again, everyone's going to be different and every person approaching a brick and mortar store uh, is going to be different. So just do what's comfortable for you and be respectful of, of their time. All right. Anything that you found that you would tell people not to do? <laughs> I've heard some horror stories. I've heard there were people in my group who said that some people have come in storming in with a luggage full of samples, demanding an appointment, rude, arrogant, and those sound like just common sense suggestions, but it still does happen. So again, you know, just be professional if you can make an appointment. Um, if you find that making appointments don't work for you, but maybe the quick pop-in visit where you're just handing off uh, line sheets and information and samples works, then just, I would say roll with that. Uh, but just be professional, courteous, um, and don't demand anything. <laughs> yeah. Can you just give us a brief overview of what happens once a retailer says, yes, I'd love to have your product in our store. You, they have all the information about your terms and your line sheet. What are the next steps that might happen? So what happens next normally is you just place the order. I've placed orders in different ways. I've placed some online directly on a website. I've placed some using a spreadsheet, just a basic spreadsheet that the person gave me to fill in and then I email it to them. And then usually it's, Whatever the terms are in terms of shipping or delivery, a lot of the handmade items in our store are from local vendors. So they tend to get delivered from the person who makes them, which is really nice because then we get to have conversations with them. We establish a relationship with them. So really it's just placing the order and then getting it delivered and then promoting each other, hopefully, ideally. All right. So that part sounds like it's probably less intimidating once you've kind of figured out how that works. And I'm sure once you've built a relationship with these store owners, it's, you know, a whole lot easier to just continue to work with them to know what to expect. Yes, it does get easier. It gets way easier. And it's nice to get to know each other too. You know, I, we, we are friends with the people, with the items we sell in our store, you know, the local people that make them. All right. Can you give us three action steps that listeners can take today if they're a maker and they want to get started working with retailers? I would say the first thing is stop procrastinating with your line sheet. And I only say this just based on the feedback that I tend to get when I teach the workshop or the conversations that I have with the people in my group. 
So stop putting that off. Trust me, it is way easier than you think. Just go ahead and get it done. And you can even do it in, in Word, in a Word document. You can create it in Canva. Um, I would say the next thing is to change your mindset. We talked about approaching brick and mortar store owners as being intimidating. And I think you need to change your mindset. And even though there's the fear about approaching them, I think you need to remember that you are also a business owner. And just because someone has a brick and mortar building, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a better or superior business owner. You are also a business owner. And it's a mutual relationship. So don't feel inferior when you're approaching them. Just have confidence in what you make and what you do and approach them that way. I think it'll make it easier. And then the last thing in action step, maybe if they're interested, is you can join my online academy where I offer free worksheets, I offer a free line sheet, and that's in the members hub portion of the academy. All right. And I will link to um, the academy in the show notes so people can check that out. Okay, thank you. I would love it if you could give us an example of how serving your clients well has benefited your business. I feel like I live the life my clients do. So I have an advantage in the sense that I can relate to them. Like I know what the struggles are. My sister and I experience all of the same things uh, my group members talk about. The ups and downs in retail, the J months, like the June and July because it's summertime and people aren't shopping as much. Um, the ups and downs in terms of sales, never knowing what you're doing right, bad reviews. I mean, we go through all of it. So I feel like I can relate to them and I really try to listen and I turn the listening and the feedback and all of their struggles into ways that I can help them. And I think that's probably what's helped me most with Savvy Shopkeeper. Awesome. I think that's great that you are teaching something that you've done and that you're still doing because that way you really are in a place where, you know, you're kind of just a few steps ahead of the people that you're helping you can give them up-to-date advice and what's worked and what doesn't. And sometimes you can give them advice from a different perspective, you know, if they're trying to get into a retail store and you have one. So I think it's a great, you know, community that you're building and a great service that you offer. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So tell me two things that you're loving right now. They can be business or life. It's probably life. Spending more time with my boys, my fiance and my stepson, for sure. Uh, I actually, while I was building both the store and Savvy Shopkeeper, I was working full time and in a really demanding career. And I retired a little early to do both of these. And uh, I just wasn't spending as much time with my family. And I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't walking or jogging like I love to do. And now I do that almost every day. And I spend way more time with my family than I used to. So I think that's what I'm loving the most. All right. Um, what are you excited for that's coming up in the future? Oh, my podcast. For sure, my podcast. I'm really excited about that. That's awesome. And it's coming out in September. Do you have a name yet? It'll be the Savvy Shopkeeper podcast. I'm keeping it all, all consistent so it's easy to find. Awesome. And where can people find you online if they want to connect? Yeah, uh, you can find me on my website, SavvyShopkeeper.com. 
And from there, you'll, you know, you'll see a link to the academy. You'll see information about the services I offer, my free Facebook group. Um, my membership group is mentioned in the academy too. And then at Savvy Shopkeeper on Facebook and Instagram. I probably prefer Instagram. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this. I really hope that there are some makers out there who can take this and just have the confidence to know that they can do the reaching out. They can make their line sheets. They can start building these relationships and, you know, get into some retail stores. Yes, without a doubt. I know some makers who are in 50 plus stores. It's possible. It really is possible. And it's way easier, especially once you get the ball rolling. It'll become easier as you move along. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Process to Profitability. Please take a minute to leave an honest review in iTunes so that I can help more small business owners and creative entrepreneurs find the show. 